interracial couple with two kids wanting to do something that highlights the power of friendship and what it means to be in the company of true friends. We're going to move our society away and out of the loneliness epidemic and into a friendlier, happier world. Welcome to Our Friendly World. Better, Stronger, Together. Yeah, I was going to say jazz bar. Smooth jazz, baby. Okay, here All we right, are. All right, let's guys, rock. Guys, it happened. Can I tell you what happened? No. It happened. I don't know if this happens to you, but like you discover something. Not that you discover it. Like, you know. I have invented it. Right. <laughs> it's mine. No, but when I learn something, I'm like, what? And then I really like dive in and, and I study it. And then I, I pick up my head. I'm like, guys. And I assume everybody in the whole world has studied what I just studied, right? So I'm turning to my friends, like the fellow, like my really, really close friends, who, by the way, are also podcasters. And we've all been so immersed in our podcast that we haven't had a chance to listen to each other's podcasts. You Mm -hmm. know, there's no time to literally like put a headphone on other than editing your own stuff to listen to something else right now. Sometimes, yes. And so I'm like, guys, and I started talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, um, all this stuff, like all the terminology that you guys have taught me, and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it, it sounds very fantastical for sure, and and I think a lot of it is still in that proof of concept and, and kind of, you know, we think this is going to work, but it's not quite real yet. Or... But I'm so jazzed by it. I'm so excited by it. That jazz hands? Jazz hands, big time. Like, my, my legs are up in the air. I'm like, ah. Aye. But, like, do you understand... Not like that. You are so sick. Like you're just <laughs> anyway disturbed. Hey, I'm her husband. It's okay. Maybe la la la. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is, I feel like everyone is hip on exactly everything we're talking about, from what it is to what it's doing, what it will do. I just assume it's the center of the universe, and everybody's talking about it, and they are, but they don't really know what's happening. Do you know what I mean? I do. So. Those of you listening who are just tuning in, you're like, what does this have to do with friendship and the loneliness epidemic and all of this? So I will repeat, this has everything to do with friendship. This whole series we're doing on blockchain, it is exactly why I say friendship is the key to social, economic, and racial injustice. And this has to do with all of that, especially the economic part, because when we are friends, when we're holding hands, when we're walking down the street together, when we're together, we are braver, we are stronger, we are more enthusiastic and optimistic. And when one one of us learns something, we all learn it and we pass it along. It's not like this secret society that we're not privy to. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. We're all helping each other. And this is why it's so important to have this conversation about blockchain and how it's changing humanity, how it's changing the environment, how it's changing politics, everything. It's it's life and friendship is life. I got to say, thank you, Matt, for being so patient with me all these years because I'm not (laughs) beep, beep, boop, boop, pop, 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 not like that. And you you always have to translate for me into fawn speak what is happening with tech. All Matt has to do is look at my computer when the computer doesn't work. I'm like, Matt, it's not working. And as soon as he walks close to the computer, the computer starts behaving itself. It is crazy. Anyway, I digress. We are here again with our professor, our beautiful brother, Mustafa Purmeti. Thank you so Hello, much. Oh, 
Hello, hello. Thank you very much for having me again. Hello. Good, good day. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. So we have to get right into it because Mustafa has a hard out today. And really, there's so much to talk about. And it, the editing is getting out of control <laughs> with every podcast. <laughs> nice. um, because there's so much to talk about. So today, the theme of today's show, of course, is blockchain again. And of course, we're going to talk about Ethereum. We're going to talk about all these things, Monero. Um, I want to talk about Esperanto. We we briefly touched on this the last episode. We were talking about Monero and human rights and being a refugee and being homeless and how the world will change forever for the better because it will wipe out poverty. Correct? Am I saying it right? Yes. So Esperanto came uh, up when we were talking about the roots of the word Monero. Monero is a cryptocurrency project. The word Monero is coming from the language of Esperanto, means money in that language. Now, what is the language of Esperanto? I'll be more than happy to talk about it today. It was, just in a nutshell, give people a little bit of a context uh, why we're talking about the la a language here. Esperanto is a synthetic language. Somebody created that, the way that George R. R. Tolkien invented the language of, what was the movie, the, the Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings, the whole Middle Earth uh, saga. Yeah, so somebody, I'm not sure if it was Mr. Tolkien or some other expert they brought in, but somebody created a language. So it's not just words and sounds that you hear from those creatures. But I digress. Yes, there's this guy who created a decentralized language in a very centralized world. So it is, I think, interesting to talk about that connected to the efforts, the decentralization efforts that we're seeing unfold in our world today. And there is an interesting history to it. So as soon as you mentioned it, I looked it up and the doctor, he was an ophthalmologist. <laughs> I can't pronounce that. Ophthalmologist. Well. Uh, there's an L in there, though, that messes me up. Mologist. Ophthalmologist oh, is what it looks that. like. Anyway. Uh, was so, the ophthalmologist? Yes. Like the eyes doctor? I, I think that is an eye doctor. It's but a, like a surgeon? More specialized than an optometrist. So, yeah. And he, so he started this in the 1870s. So from eight, the 1870s to the early 1880s. This was developed to bring about liberty and freedom to the world, to have one common language so we can all communicate. All this led to the show that I've been wanting to do forever. And I decided, you know what, we're going to bring this show that we were going to do into blockchain and into our roundtable. And the focus is Philotimo. Philotimo is Greek. And when you break it down, the Greek roots, Philos is friend, Timi means honor and the history really comes this idea comes from the island of lesbos lesbos is this beautiful place and the foundation of our friendship movement is inspired by aristotle i found out that aristotle this was his place of inspiration this island lesbos so what happened was pretty much when War, World War I was coming to an end, and these countries just decided, okay, this area of the world, we're just going to just, here, here you go. 
we're just gonna put these random boundaries up, right? And random let's borders. let's cause let's cause foundations for wars to encounter to uh, emerge even to this day. Like exactly. So if you really look into it, it's the reason why there's so much strife in the Middle East. There's so uh, much strife uh, in that uh, area because. Without thinking of all these cultures and all these different languages, all these different ideas that live right there in that tiny area, they just were crammed in without any kind of regard to a sense of honor, a sense of history. Can I add some parentheses here? That's what happens when you centralize a bunch of decentralized platforms. Like every culture is a platform for its own people. And then these, I know what happened was that they tried to centralize it and then divided arbitrarily and the platforms just clashed. It's very, it's uh, predictable. Well, it was, I, I want to say that they wanted to kind of form countries basically, because that's a very common, that's a very comfortable thought. You create countries and then you create states or provinces and then you create counties and then you create cities. It's all very logical and all very tick, 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 tick. But here's the thing. But where do you put the Kurds? Well, you put them in Iran and Iraq. Here's, you, yeah, I mean, no, the, the thing is, the way, there, there was they, no thought put into those it. Those people didn't work, like didn't operate within the boundaries of the state-nation system. Exactly. So that's one relationship between the authorities and the people, state-nation, and relationships are defined, roles are defined. And in that part of the world, there were other relationships and other definitions and not just one but many at the time so it was just like not speaking the language of a software and trying to program it and it crashes inevitably and this is what happens when you don't pay attention it's basically racism you don't have regard for you don't have respect you're not really looking and listening you're just you're just just disregarding basically so all these cultures were let please most correct me because this is my own way of studying history so like in my own heart this is how i break things down to myself to make sense of humanity like why why things happen but so basically it feels like everyone was just put into a box all these people that have very strong opinions and strong cultures strong languages strong art strong everything like they're and many many centuries old like the ottoman empire it was all disintegrated because we the, everyone was put into a teeny tiny little box and they all had to live together but there was no commonality. There was no, in this tiny area with all these different languages, there was no communication. And so you end and up fighting. Backlash. And the backlash that we've seen has been just because of what you explained, going against the forces of culture that have been running through that land and those people for hundreds and thousands of years. Thousands of years, yeah. I want to give you an example. I'm a Persian. And today you might know the country of Iran as an Islamic country, but the Persian culture goes back thousands of years, at least 2,500 years is documented. And so if people are in, uh, familiar with Alexander the Great, he got the word great attached to his name because he conquered the Persians. 
and he set Persepolis on fire, which was the capital of Persia. Now, I want to go and talk about when the Arabs invaded Persia and brought Islam, a new software for the mind, a new way, a new set of relationships that defined the Arab people and they brought it to the Persians. There was a backlash for 200 years, there was turmoil. And then when the Persians gradually found themselves again, through a resurgence of culture, they lost the Persian culture blossomed again, and this time shaped the Islamic culture. So in many ways, the art and science that you see within the Islamic heritage comes from the Persian. The Persians did the same with the Mongols. Now, after the invasion of Arabs, a few hundred years later, the Mongols invaded, and they massacred everyone, as they do. Once they settled in Persia and tried to rule over what was left of the people, again, it was the Persian culture that shaped them, and they started calling themselves Persian rulers, as Alexander did. Alexander, when he conquered Persia, he didn't start his Macedonian dynasty. It is as Herodot, the Greek history teller, says, he called himself the next Persian emperor, like he branded himself as a Persian emperor. So the Persian culture as a software, as a platform, it evolves and it shapes the resurgence. So what has happened now in the Middle East, I think in future, when we look back, again, we're going to see how the ethnic cultures that are rooted in history will shape the Middle East. Mm -hmm. in ways that we probably are uh, too blind to see them because we are living it right now. We're too close but, to it. Uh, in future, of course, the hindsight is 2020. It's easy to see how it unfolds. And hopefully, I mean, it, will, it is bound to happen as history has manifested itself so far. But I hope that the casualties are minimized. And we're having this discussion in the wake of what's happening in Palestine right. between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And the you, casualties are really heartbreaking. The thing that has really bothered me, because I'm also a Persian, growing up, anytime there's any blurb in the news, we would get beaten up in school. <laughs> And there were like, a lot of blurbs in the news, unfortunately. And here's the thing. It's, it's, it's such arrogance because people just hear something on the news and they think they understand it. They, they, and then they start labeling people as crazy. Now, I'm not condoning violence at all, okay? I'm all about my, my mission in my, all my lives of all the incarnations, I'm sure. I am about peace. I'm here to make us all please love each other. However, I'm, what I'm trying to say is you can't, and Matt, you, you were the first person that actually verbalized this and it was in my heart. And that was when one of the things that made me go, I love this man. Oh, Thank dear. you. Um, you can't label people as crazy. So people see, you know, violence and they see people screaming and, you know, they're upset, <laughs> obviously, but you can't label someone as crazy. You really have to dig deep and really understand the history and understand why a certain culture is behaving the way they are right now. Let's go back to Turkey. Let's go back to the Ottoman Empire. Let's go back and see really what what is it that these 
children are screaming about. And by children, I mean humanity. That you is true. When someone is in pain and they're screaming, the screaming may shift as you get older, but it's still a baby that is desperately crying for basic necessities. Right. And really hats off to uh, both of you guys, uh, you Fawn and you Matt, uh, for having this open perspective and to really putting uh, your, what is the English uh, expression I'm looking for? Putting your mouth where the money is? Or putting, putting your money your where your mouth, where your mouth, mouth is, mouth yeah. Is. The other way around, right? Yeah, putting your money uh, where your mouth is. And starting this initiative, is starting this movement, um, Speaking of Esperanto, the guy who started Esperanto probably would become a good friend of you guys. You would enjoy each other's company because he had same aspirations at the time at a time that the world was not really feeling well. He was a Polish ophthalmologist now I understand, but since I learned about Esperanto in an, in a very young age, maybe I was 14, 15 years old. I remember his name. Ludwig Lazarus Zamenhof was his name. Uh, I was sorry. hoping you would say it. I didn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Polish doctor. And he was like, all right, probably part of the misunderstanding uh, that's going on in the world is because we come from the constructs of our languages and we attach meanings uh, that are one-sided to those words, to those expressions, and people not being able to speak each other's language, not being able to find common ground. Inevitably, they are set up for uh, confrontation. Oh, my God. Mustafa, this is like that movie with Amy Adams in it, where the aliens come to Earth, and she, her expertise is uh, translating languages. Did you, do you know what movie oh, I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't remember the name what? of it though. It so these spooky the one with the aliens uh, who whose knees uh, went backwards. No, no, you you never no. really saw the aliens, but so aliens land on Earth, and she is a translator, and so basically she saves humanity because she understands. And you go back and forth in time. But this is exactly what you're talking about, Mustafa. It's about sound. And sound is one of the key spiritual things. Like this area of the body, the throat, that is the means for communication. And when you make a sound, it creates vibrations, it creates it manifests physical things because you start with a sound. And so anyway, this movie brings in that message of you can misunderstand a sound and kill mm -hmm. each other. So right. so basically in the movie, it's the United States against China because they're about to go to war with the aliens and there's miscommunication happening. And so she has to go and she figures out what is actually being said. And t through telepathy goes to the leader of, I think it was China, and brings about true communication, mm -hmm. understanding. And once they understand each other, the world is saved. Anyway, it's a really beautiful movie. And you don't really see the aliens, but their presence is omnipresent, of course. It changes everything. But it's about sound and communication, words, and how we can misunderstand. The manifest of the movies sounds really great, the way you explain it. I'm not sure if I have watched it, but that is the solution. Once you can communicate your feelings, your thoughts with one another, you create... Uh, shared understanding, 
you create common grounds and then if that is interesting enough you decide to live in it right in that shared understanding and um, you flourish life from that moment that place uh, so okay. the language of esperanto wait before we get into esperanto please okay. please do not forget your train of thought but i want to no. <laughs> i want to just bring us back to that island lesbos and why we're talking the way we're talking today so Lesbos, third la largest island in Greece. So basically 1922, there's all this strife, the Ottoman Empire, things are breaking down, there's war. And so people from that area, from I guess what would be considered Turkey, fled and went to this island, Lesbos. And it's really interesting how a hundred years later, the same people that had to run for their lives and were embraced by this island, those same people are now seeing the people that are running from, again, the same area. And because of what they went through, they are incorporating mm -hmm. that sense of love, friendship, giving, honor, the sense of duty to your fellow human being, like just normal citizens. They're, they're embracing these people that are swimming across the three-mile stretch of water, the ocean, to save these people's lives, to, to comfort them, to, to hold them in their arms. And that is what I want to talk about today. You know, bringing in blockchain, bringing in Ethereum and talking about language, all of that. I want us to remember the sense of philotimo. And please, my Greek friends, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this word, but <laughs> philotimo, philotimo. Uh, don't look at me. <laughs> and so there is an escape in that. It's uh, it's it's all Greek to so, me. And I have and I have some questions, by the way, um, from from the previous shows that I'm like, I was yeah. too scared to ask you. I was too chicken because I, I feel like any question I ask is like, duh, fun. It's obvious, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna be brave and say I still don't understand this. So rapid fire, I'm just gonna put them out there, and we'll see where the conversation goes. Um, but please don't lose your train of thought with Esperanto because I love that. We should do a whole. Don't worry about it. We... I've got them here. And by the way, you should ask all the questions that you have. Okay. Because I think they're great questions. And by the way, I I think I should mention this. Uh, a friend of mine, shout out to Ellie, who Ellie, yeah, listened to the um, podcast, and the part that she really enjoyed were your questions. Because Are you serious? Like these were my questions, oh. and I was going to phone ask Ellie, my new friend. Hi, Ellie. <laughs> shout out to Ellie, everybody. Hello. Thank Hello. you for listening. Oh my God, that someone said that really makes me feel good because I feel like such a dumbass okay on to the questions all right on. so here i have one two three four, i have four questions but they're they're like big in my head um i don't understand private coin like i don't understand the the whole they call it r like the piracy coins i think there's a good and a bad i'm seeing like good people wanting it and i'm also seeing things that are happening with ransomware and stuff that's not good but i don't know you know down the line you don't know what is good what is bad you never know until with hindsight, as you said, the other question is, um, I don't understand how cryptocurrency, can I call it cryptocurrency? Like all of it, Bitcoin, Ethereum, That's XRP, right. all those things, Monero, it's all crypto. That's, 
Absolutely. You okay, could. so why isn't inflation proof? I don't understand that. And also, the other question is, um, there are a lot of countries that are making this illegal. So how can we do it if big, big countries like China, and forgive me, is China into it or not into it? It seems like they're not into it. Recently, they have thrown a wrench into it. I hope I'm not butchering the expression, the English expression. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah throwing a wrench in it. Um, but wait, 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 wait. Before you go on the last question, the last well, question. It's not the first country. It's not the first government. It's not going to be the last government. So we're still good. We're still good with crypto. Like it's it's not going to stop us, right? <laughs> I want to say, I want to stay optimistic, but I tell you, I, I will explain how it works and uh, what we should expect. I I also want to talk about how um, I'm understanding it, but I'm still stuck on how it's actually, I can see how it's changing humanity. I can see that it's giving power to the people. And by the people, I mean all of those of us who are have been oppressed for so long. You know, doesn't matter what kind of education you have. It doesn't matter how hard, how, how much you work. You're still never going to get ahead. The whole dream of you, you too can be a Jeff Bezos. The the whole dream of like any, anyone can become uh, the Microsoft guy, you know, like, look at that. They dropped out of college and they did it. Bull. Loney. <laughs> he did drop out of college, but no, he did have a three million dollar inheritance. That's what which I'm didn't trying to say. Feelings at all. They have connections, you know. <laughs> it, I always hear, even around here where we live in Colorado, I always hear about these huge company founders of big businesses, and they're like, "I started with nothing," and I dig deep. I'm like, "No, you didn't. You started with your." Your dad gave you money. Or, you, know or you, I mean? you had pre-existing business connections. So like the population, most of us are under this false belief that if you work hard enough, you're going to make it. No. Well, There's you're going to make happening. it to a certain level. Well, it, it's just... Mm -mm. So, um, <laughs> so, but I, I, I'm, I'm really wanting to understand how all these countries that are so poor who all of a sudden in three weeks, like I saw, I saw images of, I think it was El Salvador. You know, those tiny little shops that feed the whole village. It's a place you go to get gasoline and chips and fruit. You know, it's like a beautiful little painted with chipped paint on the front. And then they have posters from 30 years ago, like decorating the place. Well, now you see Bitcoin signs there and they're accepting uh -huh. Bitcoin. And, and, Forgive me, I may be wrong, but I think it was El Salvador that in three weeks it became Bitcoin, the app became the number one app in the country and it changed everything within three weeks. And so I want to know, I want to understand, and this will probably go into other shows that we're going to have to talk about, but how does it make people so fast and so easily have power and like, become financially successful like i i don't i i'm still not understanding how it totally works especially when some countries are against it and not letting you do this i'm starting to understand that when you told us about how in the 1930s in the united states gold became illegal and they took gold away from people and then nixon took us off of the gold standard and that has created such inflation and the, the rate of pay has stayed exactly the same while productivity has gone shooting sky high. It doesn't make sense that 
and the, the, that all this is happening and there's now no middle class, practically none around the world. So anyways, I wanted to talk about that. And then the last thing is I seriously, if it's all beep, beep, pop, pop, boop, if it's all digital, what are people talking about crypto mining for and how it's hurting the environment? If it's all on the computer, if it's all digital and I'm not creating some crazy chemicals and like dumping stuff in the oceans the way we do with all these other products that we're using, how is crypto mining bad for the environment? I don't get it. And that's okay. it. La la la. Come on. Those are great questions. I mean, so... um before I attempted answering them, I want to see, I want to just check in with Matt. Matt, do you have any questions to add to that? I think I'm good right now. Yeah, let's right. let's go forward. Uh, I think we can almost start with crypto mining is kind of the, the uh, a, a good quote unquote simple one. How does crypto mining hurt the environment? And it just used to be really easy to quote unquote mine bitcoins, which is basically, from my understanding, solving a, a block of equations and creating a new... Bitcoin that then people can start using as their distributed ledger and attaching things to. And it was very easy to create these at first because they were very obvious and evident. As they become more and more expensive... Can you hold your thought? Yes. Back up. Because oh I still don't understand. And this goes back to... Okay, I like, I like the show Big Bang Theory. Remember how they built Bitcoin? What does it look like? Is it something that you... What, what is it? It's Did they a, claim that they said they made they they mined Bitcoin very early and then they okay. put it in a cold storage digital wallet, which means <laughs> basically it wasn't connected to anything. And then they were like, "Oh yeah, let's find it, and it's worth lots of money now." They were going to be millionaires, and then they realized they lost it. Yeah, they, they lost. They, their, they lost the they lost the flash drive. The keychain thing. They lost it. There is this German fella who has Bitcoin stored on a hard disk, external hard drive. Who has then? Who has then um, put some sort of privacy software on top of it? So the software does not allow anybody to access the hard drive. You have to put the password. He's forgotten the password. Right. Oh man! And he's got only three or two attempts left. Oh no! Two hundred thirty-eight million dollars, I think, he at should... the time last year when this. Thing broke why doesn't uh, he get hypnotized he should go to a hypnotist and like go back and like figure it he out he may have like never really seen it um with my passwords i use open source password store oh. and it'll generate a random password for me and sometimes i never even like that's view, even more view difficult but then i have more... it stored offline or i can i can copy it to multiple places <laughs> and all the rest of it and as long as i know my master password for my master password store then i'm fine Good God. So, um, let me let me answer the questions in this order. I will talk about no, mining. No, wait, I interrupted Matt. You did, I'm woman. So, I always oh, do yeah, that. Yeah, go wait, ahead. wait, wait, wait. Okay, everyone I... back to Matt. So anyway, so if to generate a new Bitcoin costs X in the beginning, at some point it costs 10X, then 100X, because these are harder to discover. And so... All of a sudden, it's not enough to run one computer spinning as fast as it can to generate these Bitcoins. What now I'm running 10 computers. I don't understand what you're looking for. It was always described to me as solving an equation, but I don't honestly know. Hold on. Does this go back to, what was the guy, what was the person's name? Satoshi? What yes, this goes back to Satoshi. Satoshi. By the way, guys, I saw the first line Satoshi put out. I saw it. I saw yeah. it. Like the email that said, 
here have that world bye <laughs> yes um i'm sorry go ahead matt i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry so where once it required one computer then it required 10 computers all networked together and then a hundred and then a thousand and and computers cost energy to run However, if the Bitcoins I'm mining are worth more than the energy it costs to, quote-unquote, extract them, I make mm -hmm. a profit. Back up. What but, do you mean by it uses energy? Like, I'm using the electricity? Yeah, you're using electricity. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you don't really think about the electricity cost of, like, the laptop that's currently running, right? Because it's well, costing us a couple cents or, you know, a dime an hour or well, whatever it is. According to the utility company we use way more than our other neighbors <laughs> well yeah that's because we have kids in school and etc etc yeah. but okay, anyways <laughs> so at some point in time i'm running thousands of computers to mine these bitcoins but i'm still making money it's okay but because i'm using so much energy at some point i'm like oh i'll be smart and i'll have a solar farm or i'll generate my own power or i'll but this is still i'm still consuming resources while How? ultimately providing only a digital resource that's worth cash. But how is this different than Las Vegas having all that electricity? Because they have Hoover Dam that generates quote-unquote free-ish power for them because they spent the billions of dollars to build Hoover Dam. And once again, you're looking for an equation that exists out there. Is that what you're doing? That is... And where did the equation come uh, from? Satoshi. All this is from Satoshi? Yes. Wow. But anyways, but now, now, Mustafa, please correct me where I'm wrong. But because we're running thousands and thousands of computers, that requires a lot of power. And even just, you know, at some point in time, somebody had a mine out of the ground to create the silicon for the boards and the chips and the everything. I'm basically, I'm, you know, it's it's costing a lot of money for for what? I'm I'm for Bitcoin. I'm having a hard time believing this because. Look at all the power that we're using for other things. And I don't, I just don't understand how this is hurting the environment and you have nuclear waste sites that are destroying stuff. It's a way for the government to point at these crypto miners and say, you're bad. You because they don't want us to find out a way to become successful, powerful. Be well, so I don't. To, but anyways, uh, let's let's get let's get Mustafa's take on what I said. I just want to start by saying that is right. When you look at Matt is doing a happy how dance. Is, how it <laughs> is coming? What's that? <laughs> Every time someone someone says Matt is right, he does a happy dance. I'm did sorry. What did you say? <laughs> you are right, <laughs> Matt. Matt. Oh, here he goes. <laughs> anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so um, it is coming under radar because uh, it, it because of the power it is creating, and I think it's starting to itch the traditional sources of power. But you, Fawn, also are right in the sense that when you said relative, when you put it in perspective relative to other sources of contamination and pollution, we have probably bigger problems to worry about than this one. However, it doesn't take away the fact that in the absolute sense, Bitcoin mining is resource intensive. It requires a lot of electricity. And that electricity has to be harnessed through not so regenerative means. Like, uh, how do we create electricity? Through coals? Natural gas? natural gas and all that so i think what would nikola tesla say he's shaking his head 
these idiots. Well, no, I think what Nikola Tesla would say would be the same thing that like Hoskinson has said, who's the who's the creator of uh, Cardano. Our neighbor is, down the hey, street. Let's generate these things cheaper. And, exactly. and that's exactly and it, it's called evolution in action. You know, one and that's point, what that's what the, that's what happens. I mean, one should point the finger at people who are creating electricity and it should be like, OK, we need the electricity. Now we need you to make it cheaper and we need you to make it more green. Uh, I mean, greener than what it is now. Um, so but again, energy is one uh, way of uh, harnessing and controlling power. Can uh, I interrupt? Anyone, anyone out there, if you're listening, Hoskinson, if you're out there, Charles. I'm sorry, Charles. Oh, it's <laughs> Charles. Oh my God. I'm so, I, yeah, I apologize, fault. Mr. Hoskinson. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking that. Our neighbor, you're, we're like very close to you. Can you please reach out to us? We've been trying to get a hold of you. Charles Hoskinson, Charles Paging, Charles Hoskinson. If any, <laughs> if you're listening, please, please go to ourfriendlyworld.com. Reach out to me. If anyone knows of him, anyone, 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 please, please help us contact. That would be a great show. I would actually want to listen to that discussion conversation. Well, you're well. gonna, you're gonna lead it. <laughs> Why do you well, keep saying that? Well, he's so passionate for sure, yeah. and he re he's really, anyways. Anyway, the point. Charles Hoskinson, we have a lot in common. I have Ethiopia in common with you. Please reach out to us. We're your neighbors over here in Colorado. Anyways. Thank you. Okay, sorry. Mostafa, go ahead. I'm, you completely cut so, my key, woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we answered the question of the environment to some extent. We know that mining Bitcoin, how it is affecting the environment. But what is mining Bitcoin? So every Bitcoin transaction is encrypted and the encryption has a, a kind of, how do you call it, Matt? This num, this, you know, it's a, a line hash. of numbers. There's a, there's a hash and you can, exactly. you can encrypt and decrypt and there are things called public and private keys and public keys anybody can look at. And so you can encrypt anything using a public key. But you can only decrypt stuff using the private key, which is unique oh. and singular and should be hidden. You're so sexy. I love it. Well, this is how HTTPS actually works, which is <laughs> when you have that little lock on your uh, computer. Isn't it the, the the equation that Fawn was talking about, isn't it just decrypting the hash? Am I right? That's the question. And I have not delved into the underpinnings of the technology. I'm, I'm going with my understanding being sufficient because it's computers and the rules always change every nine to 12 months and how a, a Ripple does it versus how an Ethereum does it versus how Cardano does it is going to be different. But fundamentally right. speaking, they'll be the conceptually speaking, they'll be similar. I think so. And I'm not an expert on it, but from the limited readings that I have had, I think to approve a transaction, you need to work through that hash. And that's a mathematical equation, or at least it requires a mathematical equation to be solved. So the computer does that. The computer needs to work on that mathematical equation constantly. So it has to stay on. And to stay on, it needs electricity and you know, that kind of ties into the environment. So mining, when we say mining, it's just a name that we have attached to it. It's not really, there is no physical thing to be mined, but. So you're not out there with a shovel and a pick. No, 
but it kind of resembles the process because with mining you have to uh, extract something from the earth and here you're extracting something from the encrypted earth how long do you think satoshi was working on this i mean this is really hard obviously and well he told me uh, no. he oh <laughs> <laughs> and it's a she it's a she by she, the way it's a she no i'm kidding oh, nobody knows man, nobody please. knows if satoshi this person satoshi is a single person multiple people there was one guy who claimed to be him and he was like and i'll provide proof and then he said you know what never mind i'm not gonna provide yeah proof. he would probably who get knows? killed well that's just it by the government if i want 15 minutes of fame i would say hey yeah i'm satoshi you know somebody period. tried somebody tried and i'll i'll, I'll prove it but, but I am not Satoshi. But, but you guys, we have to, we have like so many things to talk about. And we have like 30 minutes left. Okay. So I will, let me just uh, quickly answer your questions and then I'll tie to uh, Ethereum. So private coins, are they good? Are they bad? They are tools, right? Just like a knife. You can use it to kill someone oh. or you can use it as a surgical knife and you know, really rescue someone. So it's all in the intention of the person who uses that. You can use private coins to help people who are being prosecuted wrongly by the governments. I don't want to, I don't know how political I can make your show, but so for example, I come from the country of Iran and the country is now facing a lot of economic hardship has been for the last 10 years just because the US has decided uh, they don't want to do business with Iran for their differences, political differences. And the US has decided uh, no one should do business with Iran just because I say so. And uh, well, people, I mean, when governments, companies have to make a choice. If they do business with Iran, then they lose a huge business partner in the US. And so it's put the country and the people in a lot of difficulty. The economy has crumbled, but there's really no way for the country of Iran to take it to any international court and say, well, could you arbitrate between us and the US? And there was uh, one, I think, treaty in 2016, maybe, or 15, between Iran and the US. And then the next president came and, you know, toppled the table and said, well, I'm, I'm not liking it, right? So in that sense, a private coin, a private platform of economy helps at least block those kinds of usage of power, ex exertions of power that one actor can bring to the table. With a centralized system, like the world economy as we have it today, it is easy for one actor or a small alliance to exert such power. And it's not only Iran, there are other countries like Venezuela or to some extent China who are being subject of that. I, I see a question. Yeah, go ahead. So it, for for the good of the people, could this be an example of it? So let's say I'm in a country and the country is killing everybody. And I've worked, I come from a very poor family, but I've managed to make some money. Do I run away from this country for my life and save my family members at the, with the risk of I have no money because the country won't allow you to take your money with you? Yeah, leaving all your assets behind. Right. There's always a decision like 
do I leave with my empty pockets? How can I take money? Like you need money for survival. That's one good application. Yeah, certainly. So there are other governments as well. Like I don't want to say that it's only, you know, between Iran and US. You see that other countries like China doing that or Russia, you know, or recently Belarus came into the news. So they're trying to stifle the dissidents. And even Iran does that to some extent to its own people. So it's a fractal. I think one application of power is to try and coerce everybody to submission, into submission and a decentralized network, specifically a private network takes away that power. And I think that's, that's not too bad. Can you please define for me centralized and decentralized? Okay, so a centralized system is one where uh, the power, the control, the decisions are centralized. In a company as a very centralized structure, it is the executive level, the board of directors who call all shots and make all decisions. With a dictatorship, It is the authority, those people who are in power, who call all shots. So that's centralized is when you have like something is... All power is invested in one person or one small body. That's centralized. That would be centralized. Decentralized is what we're trying to go for. Complete and utter opposite. Power to the people. Chaos on some level. Is it chaos? That's (laughs) how you would view it from a centralized view. Yeah, it is how you want to view it. But a decentralized system is where everybody, every member of the network, every member of the organization has uh, a voice and a vote in making the decisions. So, for example, cryptocurrencies have a structure. If they want to change this structure or if they want to add something to it, it has to be voted in to the system by the members. Now, of course, uh, you could argue that different designs could bring different levels of democracy to it. But the way it is designed is that, so imagine if I want to change the rent in a building and I'm the superintendent, I can make the decision on my own. That's a centralized system. Or I can let you guys vote for it. Should we increase the rent? To what extent? That would be a decentralized system. Does that explain it? It totally does. Got Which it. doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that the people would actually vote to increase their rent. But if you start to explain maybe that the electricity is rolled in and electricity costs have shot up and so you're not going to be able to maintain the dwelling, then all of a sudden it starts to make sense for, in a decentralized view, for someone to vote apparently against their their own self-interest, which is let's keep the rent as cheap as possible. But I'd rather have slightly more expensive rent and have power 24-7 versus keep the rent the same and possibly lose power. Now, furthermore, I understand the meaning of blockchain because all that is in there. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Okay. Your next question was about the inflatory system. Yeah. Inflation. Yeah. Because so as I was learning about the disappearing middle class, the the fact that our money, even if you get to a point where you get out of debt and you're trying to save money and you put your money in the bank and you see the numbers go up, it's really not going up because there's the invisible tax, which is inflation. So you may think I have $5 and then next week I have $10. You really don't. 
Well, and, your your purchasing power has has shifted and because ten dollars buys a little less. Maybe. And it's totally like the the most corrupt way of stealing, and it's inflation. It's it's whatever the government says is the rate of inflation. And they never give you the right amount anyway. So what you think when you see the numbers go up in your accounts, it's actually not. You're actually losing money even though you see the same number. And so and so, w- what I'm hearing is that Bitcoin gets rid of all that. And I, and I don't understand how. That it, people, how, how is it immune from inflation? The good people who brought us Bitcoin thought about this. What if Bitcoin falls victim of inflation? So they did two things. Number one, they capped the number of Bitcoins that we have. Unless all the network votes in for removing that cap or changing that cap, it stays like that. But to balance that, because that by itself creates demand for Bitcoin and you know the prices could go high. Now, to balance that, they created a deflationary force, which is the halvening event. It takes place every four years. So with halvening, what happens is the reward that the miners get for dehashing each transaction is cut in half. Every four years, they, and this is woven into the algorithm, what they get will be 50, you know, cut by 50%. And that allows us to never reach to the to to dehash and to mine all 21 million bitcoins. There will always be some bitcoin left to be mined at least on paper. Right? So in that way it is deflationary. You cannot print new money so uh... that there is money but there's not purchasing power attached to it. I think I got it. Thank you. <laughs> Your next question was about how can countries make it illegal. And I think um, there are two ways for countries to deal with the whole blockchain revolution. One is to oppose it. The other one is to embrace it. And one could argue that it doesn't have to be one or another. It's just a matter of timing. Countries might opt for opposing it first, but then embrace it later, which I think it's the scenario we're seeing unfolded. They could have done it in the other order, you know, embrace it altogether. I mean, it is an it is not a revolution as much as it is an evolution. Do you think right? they're doing this in secret? Like, could they be saying, "Hey, I'm banning this. You're not allowed to use this," but they know that this is the future, so they're they're like buying it. Maybe. What is the idea of banning? You ban because you don't. You want to be part of the game. You want to be like. If you say, "A uh, good example of that is copyright." When you put a ban on your content, nobody's allowed to use my content. What you're really saying is that I want every use of my content to be authorized by me. I want to get a cut. I want to be part of the discussion. So it's in a way, you know, an invitation. But it's so with Bitcoin, I think the same thing is happening. Governments want to be part of the game. They want to play too. They just don't know how to right now. And they have a lot to lose because they're the people who control, you know, they have the strings, they control power, 
And if a decentralized game means that they're gonna lose some of that power, it's, I think, a little bit discomforting for them. So they're trying to find a good angle to, to still have the role they are used to and they are enjoying, but also be part of this. Because there's, you know, when you look at the technology, technology changes like the tides, you cannot you know, stand against that, right? You have to learn how to swim and have a destination in mind. Otherwise, the stream takes you with it. So that's what's happening with the governments. Recently, the Chinese government came out and said, I think the banks and institutions should not be investing in Bitcoin or something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I was not fully following that. But what it means is, okay, wait for us to create the right infrastructure, and then we'll tell you how to play. Right. The same thing happened in the U.S. with the SEC between the years uh, 2017 and 2019. SEC was cracking down on all Bitcoin uh, cryptocurrency projects and calling them illegal because they were trying to form a legal bet. So if you wanted to do it legally, these are the rules, you know, how to how to play. And they did it. And as of 2019, the companies, the institutions, the organizations could play it by the rules, right? So that's that's the idea of the uh, the whole legal illegal game. And well, the whole thing I think is is that the government wants to be able to track this now untraceable stuff and tax the bejesus out of it because that's what governments do. Yes, we love those tax dollars. Yeah, so that's that's that. What was your next question? You talked about uh, Venezuela and those countries, but I think we touched on that. Yeah, you you pretty much answered all my questions. Um, before we started recording, I was talking about how I was seeing these images of the currency in Venezuela, how it was like two grocery bags, and this is weird for a vegan to describe it, but there was like two and a half grocery bags of cash and a chicken. So to buy a chicken, it requires this much cash for a chicken. Mm -hmm. And then they showed toilet paper and it was like a big grocery bag of cash to buy toilet paper. And a bunch of carrots had this amount of cash. So it was because they were trying to explain how the cash, the government made the cash worthless. That goes back to what Matt explained with the purchasing power. So the cash is there. The, the denomination on the paper says, I don't know, a thousand units, a million units, but it just doesn't buy anything. This is really messing with my brain, but I still feel hopeful. It's messing with my brain in that, you know, I just feel like I've been part of the people that have said, we need free education. We need more money here. We need to um, you know, like I'm for the people, right. please raise the minimum wage. And now I'm under, I'm understanding that that will not really help things. If there's inflation like this, if, if the money is worthless, it doesn't matter if you're going to give me $1,200 a month. You know what I mean? If it's not worth anything, if it's just, I can wipe myself clean with it. I might as well just use the cash too. Do you know what I, I think, mean? It's it's shifting think, my understanding. I'm start, starting to understand what I would consider the opposing view of my own. I'm starting to understand. 
when we say we need free this, we need free that, I think what we really mean is that money should not be impeding access to those things. Yes. Um, yes. But we should understand that incentives don't go away. Human beings work on incentives. Is the, uh, the old carrot and stick problem. Even if you made everything free today, like the idea of, uh, that our communist brothers used to have, the incentives don't go away. So you start to have, um, you know, some people, the oligarch, who are supposed to be selflessly operating the system for the people, but then they, st- because they are incentivized, and other people see incentives in them, you start cultivating uh, behavior that is uh, non-communist. And just because it is uh, a taboo in a communist system, it becomes hidden. The whole implosion of the USSR was partly because the incentives that I just said, they don't go away, it's just natural. The incentives created this gap between the promise of a communist society and what was actually being operated or what actually existed. And it imploded, right? A blockchain, on the other hand, deals with the question of incentive uh, head first. So it's like, okay, anybody who is operating the system should have some incentive and we're going to give them that in the form of whatever currency exists within that system. So for example, with Bitcoin, it is Bitcoin. With Ethereum, it is Ether. With, you know, you call your um, your project, each has their own currency that uh, incentivizes people to play their roles. So I think that's why that's one of the things that make uh, the whole idea of a blockchain-based system sustainable because it it doesn't turn a blind eye to incentive and pretend that they don't exist. Okay, incentives exist and we're going to give people what they need to be good citizens, to be good operators of the system. And because it's a computerized system, it means these rules are, are generally published, these rules are understood, and until these rules are really changed, you know always that if you do X, you will get Y every mm-hmm. single time. Got it. it is not reliant on people and their decisions. Exactly. So that's really nice. So technically speaking, a smart contract is a platform. I, I'm trying to find examples to explain it in ways that people can understand. So Ethereum was the first layer of smart contract that was developed on top of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the manifestation of how a blockchain should work when some value is exchanged from user A to user B. Ethereum is the platform on which we can program transactions. So we can put rules to be executed. In that way, it's a lot like a programming language where you can set up rules and expect the program to work accordingly. And Ethereum, I mean, there are some languages like Solidity that help you create smart contracts. But in essence, Ethereum is nothing but a platform for apps. Like when 
Apple decided to create a programming language for all developers to create their apps and then put them in the marketplace. That's what Ethereum is doing to Bitcoin and to blockchain. It feels like, correct me if I'm wrong, Mustafa, but in the world, let's talk, just talk about NFTs for just a second. I could create an application that would basically, I could create my own Ethereum application that would verify that this was indeed the NFT, the private key maybe for a Mm -hmm. given piece of artwork. And I could put an application out there on the Ethereum network that somebody could call to validate that. And it would come back and say, yes, this is the real deal or no, sorry, this isn't the real deal, or this is a limited edition. This is one of 2,500 that was created or whatever it is. So would that make you like an electronic appraiser? Like you would go to an appraiser to say, hey, is this painting for real? Exactly. And it would validate the transaction. And we're seeing this with things like supply chains. You know, is this fish really the fish? And what different steps did it go through as far as in the supply chain? Was this fish caught in the Mississippi River? Was it sent to this place? Was it over here? Was it how old is it? How et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I have a good tag on it, I can view this kind of stuff. Or Imagine all those applications that can be uh, created on top of Ethereum. Right now we have maybe two, three, maybe four or 5,000. I'm not really sure the number of applications on top of Ethereum today as we speak, but it is in the thousands. Uh, And soon it will be in the millions because you think of, uh, you know, as Matt did, you think of, "Mm, I think there is something that I can do taking you know advantage of what blockchain offers and i think there is this transaction the way i see it i can program it and have people just partake in that transaction it's easy you just uh, learn the language if you're a coder you code it in and it it's just comes to existence and for, so my, in, and for my coding friends out there, Solidity is JavaScript-like. There's another language called Viper and Serpent, and those are very Python-like. Matt, is this changing your whole industry, the whole crypto situation? Is we it are, we are in such infancy, and that's actually going to be a later show. We're going to talk about that with a with one of my former bosses, actually. Oh. Yes. Um, Little little tiny shout out there to Lisa Calkins. She will be a guest on a future show where we're going to start talking a little bit more about some of the projects that she's worked on and that exist in the industry. That's fantastic. You know what? And There's I, so much to talk about. I'm sorry. I just interrupted you, Mustafa. Please go ahead. No, not at all. Uh, I just wanted to go off of what Matt said. Uh, a lot of people who are into coding would be able to take advantage of this and create applications for the new world, which is blockchain oriented. And there are so many problems that can be addressed by the promise of a blockchain that we just couldn't address before because it was too costly to create a system that vets everything and approves everything with that level of granularity. And now blockchain is there. So it is doing 80% of the legwork for us. All you have to do is to put on top of it the particular application that you'd like to see in the world. So we're, we're seeing this, we're starting to see this in real estate, which of course is running into all kinds of regulation issues. But if anybody out there has ever tried to buy a house in say the U.S., there's so many people put their hands in and they can put their hands into up to 5% of the purchase price of your house. It is ridiculous how hard uh, that is. Or more, maybe. 
And that's not including your real estate agent fees and licenses and all the rest of it, but literally just, we need to search to figure out if this house is really owned, if there's any liens against it. We need to make sure that the land that is described in the deed is actually accurate, that there's no, have, have been no addendums to it. And there's a lot of red tape and paperwork that people have to go through. And that turns out to be a fairly manual process, streamlining, speed it up to turn a that's process right. that can take a day into a process that can take 10 seconds. Wow. So here we are, full circle again. It has to do with communication. It has to do with language. It has to do with translation. So this is bringing about a way we have no miscommunication. There's yeah. no lost in translation happening. And I see like how we, when leaders of countries have to negotiate stuff, they would have to mint their negotiations. On Ethereum, that would be interesting. Yeah, for them to be self-executing. So you can't say, oh, you said this. No, I didn't say that. Or, and then fights. Imagine if Paris Accord was on Ethereum. So when the leaders of the countries agreed to that, it would just start executing on its own. No country could backtrack or no country could stall it. Are we working on this? Did I just come up with this all by my lonesome? <laughs> Am I a genius? It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Things like going back to Iran for a second. You know, America is deathly afraid, and I'm not saying valid or invalid, that Iran wants to develop a nuclear weapon. And Iran has always said, and this is just talk, right? I'm just talking. Iran has always said we want to develop nuclear power to provide energy for our people, which sounds altruistic. And it's a question of which side of the news you want to pay attention to, which, you know, who's, who's mm -hmm. telling the truth. So if you were able to develop a smart contract that said the instant Iran started to develop a nuclear weapon, we shut down all the reactors. And exactly. Iran agrees to this, and it's verifiable, and it's, it's across multiple nodes on the network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a question of whether or not Iran would ever agree to it, and America would believe if Iran agreed to this that, that it would actually work. And this, and is, where, this is where politics happens. Yes, and I think Iran and the U.S. are uh, the m more interested actors in such an agreement, in such a contract, smart contract. But the, the actors who will not like to see this happen are the intermediaries, are the deal makers, are the people who are saying, well, the deal has to go through us in order to be executed in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And they're making a living out of this, right? And that is, by the way, one of the things that the whole blockchain revolution has to address. One of the promises of blockchain is to make all those intermediaries redundant. No middleman. The no middleman. Middle the middleman has mean, never been good in religion like i have my own relationship to source i don't need you do you know what i mean i don't need the middleman i think the answer is generally it depends yes for everything you know is a union good or bad depends is a you know it, what in, we need in the is case a good like, translator in the case of like my family my family believes unions are bad because primarily like my mother and sister teach in the same school district and the union there has never done anything for them other than collect their money as far as they're concerned. So yes, there are cases where middlemen are bad. However, you know, trade unions as they were originally conceived of, 
you know, let's keep the workplace safe for the workers. Let's raise the, let's raise incomes. Let's provide training. Let's, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that can happen. It's just exactly. depends on which side of the fence you fall on. Guys, guys uh, there's so much to talk about. We have to wrap this up. Because I have to leave and I apologize for that because, you know, the discussion is really nice. But let me just address what Matt said, because that's a really good point. Intermediaries exist because they play a role in the system. If they don't exist, the system doesn't work. Now, it's a different question if the intermediary is doing its job well or not. If the intermediary becomes the new bottleneck of the system or not. So that's a different question. But the system needs the intermediaries to connect different actors, different roles. Now with blockchain, the role of the intermediary is minimized. Doesn't go away, but it is minimized. So we should really think about people who have stakes in playing the role of the intermediary. They will, for good reasons or bad, I don't know, but they will impede adoption of blockchain because their role will be rendered uh, redundant. Same thing with political deals. With a political deal, it's just a promise, it's a handshake, but it has to be translated into actions well within the future of two countries. And it really needs people to make it happen. So it's you're right, it's, a, it's too complicated to talk about it right now. So we'll continue the conversation again. Again. Always talking. That is all right. <laughs> That's all right by me. Let me just conclude by saying that trying to connect it to what we started talking about, a language that everybody understands and everybody communicates through the word Esperanto in that language means hope. So the idea was to stay hopeful that people come together and understand each other. Oh my God. Than... We just did a show on hope. It's called hope. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Zamenhof. Thank you. Visionaries like him. Yeah. Oh, and visionaries like you, Mustafa. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I don't co uh, consider myself that. Well, <laughs> I I do. La la la. Um, thank you, everyone. So tune in. Tune in next time. We are continuing this conversation. Power to the people. Power to the art of friendship. Power to us, friends around the world. We're going to make this world a much much better place where we can all sit at the table drink eat play music and laugh and just support one another and enjoy life that's what we're here for and so tune in and of course as always if you need to get a hold of Mustafa, he is on our website all his info is there everyone go to ourfriendlyworldpodcast.com and if um, I'll just tell you now, nex3.xyz is Mustafa's <laughs> website. We'll talk to you soon in a few days. Thank you again. Thank you, Ellie, for listening. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Iran, thank you for listening. You haven't popped up yet on the world map on our analytics. But there could be a variety of reasons for that. But yes, and, right. and, and thank They're you, Mustafa. They're using VPNs. And that could very well be what's, which once again gets us around things. So spread the word about our friendly world, please, guys. Help us 
create this movement in a bigger way. Thank you guys for a great discussion. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk to you in a few days, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.